Uh, all right. How you doing, Graham? Um, thanks for joining us. My name is Steve Gunn. You're Graham Cantwell. I just wanted to talk to you about your film career. I'm going to start with uh, what you did when you left school, if you don't mind. Yeah, no problem. Um, well, when I left school, I had that typical Irish thing of, you know, wanted to get something behind you, uh, a proper job, just in case it didn't work out. Um, so I actually went to UCD and studied computer science and then went into computers, basically working in computers. And in the background, I was uh, doing a lot of training, uh, being taught how to write scripts. I did a year of acting into gaiety, basically being informed of how the uh, the industry works or how the various aspects of filmmaking work. You, like uh, you did part-time in the gaiety? Yeah, exactly. Part-time stuff while I was working in a job and piecing together an understanding of how it all worked. So... You left school, you went to college, and then in your first year of college, you said, even though I'm doing this, I really want to be a filmmaker or... Yeah, to be honest, there wasn't really a, a kind of a moment where it crystallized yeah. for me. I, I I kind of segued into it. I kind of, you know, I started dipping my toe into various things purely out of interest as mm. a, uh, a fan of films, I suppose. My granddad used to make Super 8 films, he used to carry a Super 8 camera around everywhere. And he'd film everything, all the major life events. And uh, he was involved with the FCA and he used to record them going out in maneuvers and stuff like that. And I always remember sitting in our in our rooms watching the, the, the projector and all these films come to life and just thinking it was amazing. And then I just really got stuck into watching films, mm. a lot of films. And eventually, somewhere along the way, the thought kind of crystallized, I could do this. Yeah. Never quite knowing what aspect of it. Okay. Or what discipline I could fall into. I just knew I wanted to be part of it. Right. And who would have been, like, your influences? A lot of filmmakers that I'd take stuff from. Every, every film I watch, mm. I take something from. But there are some that kind of informed my journey as a filmmaker more than others. Uh, Spielberg in particular was always a very strong influence. I just, I loved his, the way he would take normal people and put them into extraordinary circumstances. I always remember reading an article uh, about a, a conversation him and Paul Schrader had where they were working on Close Encounters mm -hmm. and Paul Schrader was trying to make the, the lead character a kind of a, a, a theologian uh, or a priest or something like that and Spielberg was fighting him constantly and trying to make him more and more normal. And eventually Paul Schrader said, I'm not going to send a guy who could be working behind a counter in McDonald's to be the first representative in space with this alien race. And Spielberg said, well, that's exactly who I want to send. Okay. Uh, so, you know, they parted ways. But it was that idea of taking normal people and putting them into, and Hitchcock as well used to do that a lot, take the, you know, the regular Joe. Yeah. And then put them into this world of spies and stuff. And. Um, so Spielberg was, and, and also just his, particularly with st something like Jaws, his knowledge of the language of cinema, of what, a, you know, juxtaposing different shots or a cam camera move or all the techniques that he would use. He literally threw everything at that film. Yeah. Uh, and it's like a masterclass in, in filmmaking techniques. And when you read about the, the background to it and the history of it and how, a lot of the things that worked in that film came about because of necessity, mm. because things didn't work or they did, they couldn't do it the way they wanted to do it. And it really informed me as a, as a young filmmaker in terms of your, your design of okay. shots yeah. and 
then being open to dealing with problems, fighting fires as they come, but having the knowledge to know what to do yes. when that kind of situation comes up. Um, then uh, then uh, the, there's the other obvious ones like Scorsese. Everybody loves a bit of Scorsese, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and again, his encyclopedic knowledge of film yeah. uh, always makes everybody in the world, in the film industry, uh, feel inadequate. Okay. Did you see <laughs> so, the pair of them chatting recently? The Bridges Boys. No, I, I haven't the first seen time that. I've ever done it. It's quite good. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to hunt that down. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can see in like even in films, later films he did, like Munich. It's sometimes just a single shot mm. that crystallizes uh, an idea, and you think, wow, less is more. That, that yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. It's just amazing. I remember one shot where um, Kieran Hines is coming in to clean up after a murder, and the guy had been shot, uh, and he'd been carrying a, a pint of milk. I okay. think it was. And as he fell on the ground, the milk spread away from him because a bullet went through it. And then as Kieran Hines bends down to pick up a bullet out of a bullet casing out of the milk, the blood seeps into it yeah. and he's reflected in it. And I was like, that's just pure class economy, yeah. you yes. know, economy of telling a, a story without having to cut to yes. several different things, you know. Yeah. Um, it's that also, yeah, I mean, when you watch Scorsese, films or Spielberg films or even like older films like Kurosawa and that you look at how they construct things and you Mm -hmm. deconstruct it after the fact and that helps to that helps to inform your own process Uh, especially as a young filmmaker where you've literally no idea what to do with a camera right you watch the masters do it and it kind of gives you uh, a grounding yeah in how to approach it yourself and and then it's about execution and figuring out what goes into it and were you tempted by the acting at all when you did that course? Yeah, you know, I kind of figured out pretty quick on how limited I was in that regard. Um, not 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 really like I was a bad actor or anything, but I don't think I was a great actor. And I didn't want to be like a mediocre actor, you know. Yeah. Uh, and to be honest, it was when I made a film uh, with a pal of mine, Paddy Wickham, uh, called Power Trip, which no one has ever seen <laughs> because it's atrocious. But I figured it out very quickly that I preferred being behind the camera. Yeah. Uh, I preferred being the, the person. No, it's not even calling the shots. There's this thing people think the director calls the shots. But I remember an article with Francis Ford Coppola where he was asked about The Godfather and they said, why is it such a great film? And he said, well, I had the best cinematographer, the best actors, the yeah. best composer, the best writer. And they said, well, what did you do? And he said, I hired them. Yeah, put them uh, all together, yeah. facilitating the shots then. But it's it's like the director's job for me is to help other people do their job better. Great, yeah. On a set, a director doesn't actually do a hell of a lot, mm-hmm. except talk to people. And it was that idea that you could inspire better work. Mm. That's what appealed, more so than being the guy who dictates for sure. choices, you know. Yeah. Um, and I just found I was, I was good at that. I was good at inspiring people to do their job. And that's, that's what gave me a kind of a, a, a thrill. And, you know, I did like acting. I did like particularly stage acting. I really liked being in front of a, an audience and getting a, a reception, getting feedback from them. But it just, I knew it wasn't going to take off in the way that I, um, that I would have wanted it to if that's the direction I wanted to go in. Yeah. Um, and like I say, I just figured out I was happier and more comfortable behind the camera. Great. And so when did you, was that your first outing in film, that thing you did with Paddy? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, like I did a lot of auditions and stuff. Okay. Uh, and maybe some student 
things, you know. Yeah. But Power Trip was the first thing I made, and it was the first thing that we put a lot of effort into in a very practical way. Mm. And, you know, there were some terrific actors in it. Paul Rayner was in it, who's really good. Uh, Lynette Callahan, who just worked on a, a, another film with me, Lily. And Damien Rice was in it, the singer-songwriter. Uh, so there was a lot of people who were really good. And Paddy, again, Paddy Wickham was brilliant. But it didn't quite gel. Okay. And it was one of those things where I learned a lot through making mistakes. What do you think the biggest lessons you learned were? From that film? Hmm. Preparation. Okay. You know, preparing everything in advance so that when you're on set, if opportunities present themselves, you know what to do with them. Mm. Um, Because I always like to take that approach where I'll try and prep it so that it's just a case of execution, but then inevitably things go wrong or an opportunity presents itself and it changes. And being able to adapt and just having the confidence to know, well, if we do this differently... Will it work or not? Being able to to say, yes, it will, can only come from having it prepared yeah. properly. So that was a big thing for that. And and what happened after that film was we were, uh, both Paddy and I went away and got a camera, a Canon XL1, which at the time was like the height of technology. And, oh, my God, it's amazing, you know. And now you kind of look at the, the quality that comes out of it and you cringe a little bit. But at the time, it was great. And we just made a hell of a load of films that no one's ever seen okay. because we were doing it to figure it out. To practice and to get yeah. better. And, yeah. Um, and, you know, nowadays, everybody puts everything they make online. Yeah. But that wasn't an option for us back then. Thankfully, perhaps. Yeah, 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 yeah very <laughs> thankfully. Um, I mean, there's probably a couple of ancient old clips that some people have put up that I'd cringe about, but <clears throat> we really did make those films in an effort to figure out the medium, mm. to figure out the, the language of cinema and to, to push ourselves a bit and make mistakes, you know. And it was only when I got the uh, funding from Filmbase for a Dublin story, uh, Brino Tamon, a writer, a friend of mine, brought me this short story, a Dublin story, and we submitted it to Filmbase and it got selected. And that was the first time I had funding. Okay. And everything I'd learned in the years previously, all the little films that How we'd made up we to talking? that point. And probably about five years, okay. four or five years of making stuff on our own. And meanwhile, you're working... What are you yeah, doing? Yeah, yeah, doing a job. Like, a, again, computer science. I was okay. working in Revenue Chief State Solicitor's Office. You know, I was working okay. in lots of different places as a contractor. Uh, but all the while writing yeah. and all the while making these films, these little films, uh, and figuring it out. Yeah. You know, it, it was it was kind of our apprenticeship or, you know, we were uh, both of us figuring out how to do it. And when we got to make a Dublin story, when I got to, to direct that, I had done so much work on those other films that I knew what I needed to do. And was there an interview process or whatever to, for the submission? or what was Yeah, yeah. Like? I mean, you submit the scripts blind, uh, so it's based off, it's not based off the team, it's based okay. off the quality of the script, which I always thought was a really good idea. Uh, and then they bring in 10 teams to interview. Okay. And they give, I think, three. Oh, so you had to put a team four. together at that yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you have a producer, a writer, and a director. Okay. Um, and Tamara Angie came in to produce it. Edwina Forkin and Jimmy Watson were executive producing it. And then there was Brian as the writer and me as the director. Uh, and Russell Gleason came in as the cinematographer. And we, we basically, we all worked as a team and sat down and figured out how to make 
this happen. Okay. And just if there was like a filmmaker out there who's just starting out listening to this and they were like, well, how, how did you meet those producers and stuff like that, if you know what I mean? Or how did you seek them out? Or? Well, it was actually Edwina who helped us put the team together. Okay. Edwina's kind of like the, the, one of the, the queens of Irish film. She's helped so many different careers. She's launched careers and she's fostered people along the way. Um, and I had, Known Edwina for quite a while. I'd done some work with Shimmy Marcus, who was um, partnered with Edwina at the time, and he brought my stuff to Edwina and said, "You should look at this okay. guy. You know, he's yeah. he's worth a look at." And when we went to look for a producer, I said to Brian, "I said, let's ask Edwina." Great. And Edwina had Tamara as kind of a, a a budding producer, yes, on her books, and she suggested that Tamara come on board. And then Jimmy Watson was partnered with Edwina as well, and he came on board too. Yeah. So it kind of happened. Element of good timing there. Yeah, exactly. But also there are people like Edwina in the industry who who help foster careers, who mm-hmm. create an environment in which careers can develop. Yeah. Uh, and they support people as they begin the process. And film base were great as well because they could help us connect with people, you know, and find crew and stuff like that. So, yeah, we, we put the team together. We went in and we pitched and then we got the award. Uh, and then I probably did more prep for that film, for a Dublin story, than any other film I've ever made. Okay. I over-prepared for that in a sense where I didn't just shot list and storyboard. I went out and took photographs in the locations Recky, so. and then traced the photos Brilliant. and put the characters into it and really, really went to town on the prep, did overhead maps, and it helped us to prep. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it... it Preparing as well, to that extent, it helps you to, one, it helps you to figure out in advance where you're going to run into trouble. Uh, but two, it also, it gives your team, like an assistant director or someone, more, more information yeah. to work with yeah. so that they can then prepare too, you know. Great. And how did that movie go? It was great. I mean, like we won a ton of awards with it uh, and it got shortlisted for the Oscars. So, you know, it's it's one of those... Things where we'd no idea how it would do. Mm. Uh, also, Robbie Sheehan was one of the actors in it. He was only 14 or 15 at the time, and he's gone on to have a brilliant career. He's done so, all right, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's done all right for himself. So, you know, it, it was the start of a lot of people working in the industry, uh, started on that film or, mm. you know, on that film and other films. It's a lot of enthusiasm and passion for this. Yeah, 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 exactly. And just that passion, you know, mm. people. It's one of the things I, I always try to do on a film set is create an environment in which people want to be there. Yeah. And they feel like they're, they're an important part that they contribute that, you know, without them, the film would suffer. Uh, and, and creating that environment, it really does inspire people to do better work, you know. And yeah, so it went on, it, it did quite well. The thing is, after I made that film, I kind of sat back a little bit in the sense that, I made another film called Past Pupil with the same scheme and I got a little bit, uh, I won't say cocky, but maybe complacent. So I didn't prepare as well. And what happened was when we were making a Dublin story, I didn't know what was possible or not. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, I kind of, I aimed for the, you know, for the stars. I kind of, I went big uh, and the crew just went, okay. And they made it happen. Yeah. And then I started to figure out the limitations of what that meant in terms of every time you move the camera, it takes time. And, okay. you know, so I would avoid tracks or I would avoid 
complicated lighting setups are, and it really hampered my progress okay. uh, as a filmmaker for a while. So it's it's a lesson to be taken as well, not to kind of take what you've learned as an impediment yes. to future development, to you know, to to your preparation for the next thing. It's kind of the confidence of youth or something, isn't it? When you something get older like and you that. realize yeah, all the things yeah, that go yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and every now now every time I I start a film, I have to remind myself: don't limit yourself. Yeah. Don't say, "Oh well, this will take this long, so don't do it." Because um, there's all you always find a way. Yeah. You always find a way to make it happen, uh, particularly if you have a good team. You know, and, and necessity being the mother of invention, you put yourself into a box and go, well, how the hell am I going to do this? Absolutely. And you just, you get creative, you get inventive. Whereas if you limit yourself in the preparation stage, you don't have to be inventive. It's just execution. What did you shoot those on, those two shorts? Um, a Dublin story we shot on black and white super 16 millimeter film. Wow. Which was brilliant. Uh, and we edited it on a Steenbeck, an old Steenbeck machine, which was to, amazing. Yeah. And it forced, it really forced us to be disciplined in the edit. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, it, we, we eventually scanned it and went to HD, which was kind of new at the time. We were going into the farm, uh, post-production house, and they'd scanned the film onto HD cam, which to everyone at the time was like, whoa. The resolution, you know, from a videotape, we couldn't believe it. And we finished it on tape, mm-hmm. but we had edited a bit of it on, on, uh, on film. And, and having that discipline of knowing if you cut, cause you actually cut the film. Yes. If you cut it, you can't go backwards. Okay. You know, so it does force you to be very disciplined. And I always remember we made a, a cut at one stage and three frames went missing literally three actual frames and there was this frantic panic searching for those missing three frames and they were on the ground somewhere Brilliant. you know so we had to go and we found them eventually and slotted them back in it's nice to feel you're part of film history or something you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's 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 it, yeah again it is and and that tactile thing of holding the film in you your hear hand the Combrothers talk about that one of their latest films yeah, yeah it's just it, there's there's a, a a kind of a, a magic to it an alchemy you know mm. where you just it's What's that thing John Borman always said? Uh, money into light, light into money. Okay. That's the, the filmmaking process. Um, but it's, you know, being able to hold up frames of your film, look through them and see the images in celluloid. It's brilliant. There's nothing like it. Where'd you go after that then, after you'd done those two? Well, I did a bit, I, I directed a bit of theater. Okay. Set up the attic studio, got to networking and getting to know people in the industry. Um, and just continued making films, short films, made a few films. I worked with Calippo Theatre Company on a, a, a film with underprivileged kids up in Monaghan, which was really good process. And then I met Anthony Fox at the Attic Studio and we had a reading of a script he'd written. At the time it was called Through Irish Eyes and it eventually became Anton. And we kind of danced around each other for a long time where he really wanted me to direct it and I really wanted to direct it, but neither of us said so okay. to each other. And it was only, uh, it was Terry McMahon actually who intervened and said, lads, you know, <laughs> get it together. And we did. We, you know, we sat down, we talked about it. Um, we had a reading of the script, uh, and from that it developed and Anthony 
got Patrick Clark involved and the two of them set about raising money. We got some money together, enough to be able to go and shoot for two weeks and we started that process. So it was kind of a, Anton was the next step as in the first feature, yes. but it was a very untraditional process. Yes. Getting it made and making it. Uh, like we shot that film, it took nine months spread out over, like nine weeks spread out over nine months, mm. which is not an ideal way to make a film. Um, and we kept running out of money and we'd have to go and raise more money. We'd make trailers from the footage we had shot. To get go to, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Go to investors, show them a footage and then raise the money and kept on going. Tell me briefly about the Attic Studio. What was the idea there just to get people together? Yeah. Well, it started out in the factory building down on Bow Street and um, Barrow Street. Barrow Street. Yeah. Bow Street. Factory is now Bow Street. Yeah. yeah. Um, but on Barrow Street, and we had a studio space in the attic there. Yeah. Uh, so it was called the attic studio. So we just called it after that space. Um, but it was, it began with a small group of people just getting together actors, uh, and a couple of writers and some directors just to jam, mm. just to kind of get together and, and, and kind of network and create new work. And it kind of exploded from there. You know, it took off. And at one stage we, we had about 70 people every night we ran it. And it was just free workshops that we ran once a week uh, and a network, a kind of a, a forum online that allowed people to keep in touch in between the, the networking sessions and to plan for those networking sessions. And we'd run, like we'd, we'd do script readings. Uh, sometimes we'd do workshops. We'd have someone come in and do a talk. Um, or sometimes we just do improv, you know, it was, it was Irvin very, Welsh showed up at some point. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was actually Emer Martin brought Irvin in. She had a reading of a script, a short film script. Um, and there was, there was a part in it of an African caseworker and she had this Scottish <laughs> guy come in and read it. Uh, so Irvin came in and did his best African accent. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I mean, he, he loved it and really got the vibe. So he started bringing his stuff in. Which is amazing. Like he'd made train spotting and all that stuff. Train spotting had already come out. And yeah, he'd moved to, to Ireland. Um, and he was kind of tapped into the, the vibe of it, you know, the, the kind of the, the, the artistic vibe. And yeah, we, like we, we, we worked on a play together. We did the, the, the European premiere of Babylon Heights, a play that him and Dean Kavanagh had written about the munchkins on the wizard of oz so we had double size sets regular sized actors and you know it was it was great it was really good um but he also brought in some film scripts and tv scripts that he was working on that went on to get produced so they started life there uh and there was a lot of writers brought some material in some great material gary duggan brought some stuff in terry mcmahon brought some stuff in you know so there was a lot of really good material coming in Mm -hmm. and some brilliant actors finding their feet or you know beginning their journey there as well um so it was this kind of this great community yeah and it was a really strong community spirit about it as well uh where people would get together jam work and work would come out of it yeah uh, and a lot of people kind of started their careers there and went on to great things, you know. So, and even at that, even people who, who've kind of, uh, left the industry for a period, it was, it was a great outlet, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was, it's, yeah, it's something I'm, I'm really proud of, um, that we set that up and that we, you know, that we helped so many people out 
but it helped me as much because mm. all the networks, all the connections that I've made in my career, a lot of them have come through that. Yeah. Through the attic studio, through working with Irvin or, you know, Terry or even producers who'd come along and see stuff then. And even Anthony, who, uh, who got me involved with Anton, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. If not for the attic studio. So, you know, there's a lot to be said for giving, putting stuff out there. Creating a space. Uh, yeah, creating a space and, uh, like I say, a vibe, a kind of an artistic vibe. Doing that, putting that out there, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of commitment once a week to run a free workshop and facilitate it. But I enjoyed it and it gave a lot back, mm. you know. How did you get on with Anton then? Well, yeah, I mean, again, I like there was some people, it, creatively, it was one of the best experiences that I've ever had where... Working with Anthony, working with Patrick, Pat McArdle, Fergal O'Hanlon, and all the actors that were involved. It was just, again, there was such a great vibe around it. There was, you know, everybody had a great, had great mentality on that. And it was, it was a big crew because we were working in such a kind of a scattershot way. There was a lot of people involved, you know, and again, I just really enjoyed working with them all. Uh, I always remember one of the, one of the the, the 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 electricians stopping me one day and he had a grump on and I said, what's wrong with you? And he said, why is everyone so bleeding happy on this film? It's not natural. <laughs> uh, but it was true. Everyone enjoyed it, yeah. you know. Um, and I was only picturing you the other day when you got the, the soundtrack and you, where did you go for the... Well, we, yeah, it, it was actually quite funny. MySpace was only a new thing at the time uh, and I you know I had friend requests and requesting friends and I saw this friend request come through from a girl called Anna Rice and for some reason I thought she was related to Damien Rice who's a pal of mine so I accepted it and then I looked at her profile and she wasn't anything to do with Damien but she was a composer and I clicked on a couple of her songs that she had up on MySpace and they were amazing uh, so I got in touch with her and I said you know would you be interested in doing a score for a feature film and she said yeah so she put a kind of a, a pitch together for us we'd we'd cut a trailer uh and she scored the trailer it was phenomenal and you know the lads paddy anthony and pat heard it and they're like wow get her yeah and she did this score it was amazing amazing score it was nominated for an ifta but we went down to prague to record it to the prague philharmonic orchestra and again, one of the best experiences I've ever had was sitting in a room watching an and entire you back reaching orchestra. for the stars again and yeah. going all the way with yeah, it. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, the funny thing is, it was Anna who obviously made that happen, but she had figured out it would cost less to go down and record a score with a full orchestra in Prague, including all of the travel arrangements and accommodation, than it would to get a small orchestra in Ireland to do it. Hilarious, yeah. Yeah, but it was it was something else to see Anna like she conducted a couple of them and to see her sat up in front and the strings kick in and just the hairs in the back of your neck go up and you're like, wow, we created this, you know? And then you hear it back after the fact in the headphones and it just, yeah, it, um, it's a magical thing, you know? And again, just to think that that started as a, a few words on a bit of paper. And you ended up in Cannes. Yeah, we brought it down to Cannes. We had two market screenings down there. They were packed. Um, and we picked up our distributor, uh, Sasha Wieser, from austria picked the film up east west distribution and you know he was a lovely guy but he came into the one of the market screenings and we were stood at the back kind of watching really nervously 
And he marched up to me and he said, did you make this movie? And I said, yeah. Are you the producer? And I said, no. He said, who is? So I pointed at Paddy Clark and he went and he took Paddy outside. And that's where it all started, Great. the whole journey. And he helped us get the film released into cinemas in Ireland. Uh, back then, there was no digital cinema prints. It was all 35 mil. So it was extraordinarily expensive to release a film, to do all the marketing. But again, we... We didn't have a huge budget, so we had to get creative. So Anthony spoke to guys he knew who were builders who had, you know, properties and they put massive big signs on the side of buildings advertising our film. And Paddy Clark knew a whole lot of taxi drivers, so they covered their taxis in. And you were lucky recession wise, you got it over the line just before the world economy collapsed. A absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in one way we were very lucky because we got the funding in place for it. In another way, not so lucky because the crash happened just as we were about to release the film. Okay. Yeah. So there wasn't money out there to, to go and put it into cinemas and stuff. Because the budget of big know. Hollywood movies, like the marketing budget is almost the same as the, the film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the time, particularly with the tentpole movies, they spend more money on marketing than they do on making the actual film, you yeah. know? And yeah, I mean, nowadays it's for independent filmmakers, social media is great because you can get the word out there. You can mm. spread the word a bit more. Uh, less traditional kind of advertising policies or advertising techniques. Nowadays, it's uh, there's a bit more scope. You can get it out there more. Um, so, but back then that didn't exist. So we had to ground roots level. We had to, to try to be a bit cleverer. Uh, and we were doing things like going around chalking the ground at festivals and stuff to try and get people to go into screenings and you know but it all worked because yeah. it did create a great buzz and we got a great reaction to the film every time we screened it at festivals it would get a great reaction some of the performances in the film it's one of the things i'm proudest of with that film is that there isn't a weak note really in the film in terms of performances it was a, a, a collection of actors some of them were veterans. Some of them were brand new to it. It yeah, was Jerry the McSorley first time. in there, didn't you? Jerry McSorley, yeah. Ronan Wilmot, Vinnie Fagan. You know, these guys who've been doing it for a long time. And then you had younger guys um, who it was their first thing, their first major thing, you know. And just, again, the alchemy of that. Yeah. Taking a group of people, the you know, the, the veterans would inspire the younger guys, but their enthusiasm would kind of reinvigorate. Sure the 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 kind of the the older actors uh and again it was just creating that that buzz on set mm. uh that that all showed up on screen you know so where'd you go after that then um well we we finished anton uh and then i i made a, a pilot called the guards which was the tv thing uh which actually ended up not going anywhere but it it showed me what was possible with very limited resources okay uh, and I moved to London and when I was in London, I thought to myself, you know what, when I did the guards, I didn't have creative control. So I eventually had to leave the, the project, but it left me thinking, you know what, if I had just that small amount of resources with creative control, then maybe I could do something good with it. And I came up with this story. I'd been toying around with an idea of doing a, a film about a young group of filmmakers. I've been teaching filmmakers for quite a while and a lot of the anecdotes I'd heard or been through and seen, I always thought they'd, they'd make a good film, you know, a good comedy. Where were you teaching? Uh, I was teaching in colleges. I was teaching in film base. I was teaching in Griffith College, Maynooth. I was teaching a lot of different places, filmmakers mainly and actors and just the, the stories I'd heard from actors as well about dealing with 
you know, filmmakers and filmmakers dealing with actors, they were all quite funny. Yeah. And I thought if I could string them together into a narrative, uh, it would really work. So I toyed around with it for a long time. I couldn't quite... Uh, You're talking a spinal tap kind of thing, are you? Type of thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah roughly. Um, but then I met Amy Joyce Hastings and she had told me, mm-hmm. she was like down to the last two for some really big jobs uh, and hadn't got them. And she was like, I'm like the callback queen. And it sparked this thought in my head. I thought, oh, that's a... That's a title for a film. Let's make a movie. Yeah, let's make a movie. And uh, combining that, the journey of an actress going after a part in a big kind of production with this young group of filmmakers in a film school, that gelled together into what eventually became The Callback Queen. Mm. And we shot that over in London in five weeks. It was a romantic comedy. Uh, and again, it was just such a cool experience. It was, again, very limited resources, but we did a hell of a lot with those limited means. Yes. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's done fantastically well for us. It's gone to tons of different festivals. It's sold to lots of different territories. It's being seen by a lot of people. And the reaction that we're getting is, is great, you know, to, to sit in an audience in different countries all over the world, uh, and listen to them laughing. So what genre would you say Anton is? Uh, I mean, we build it as a thriller. It's a drama. It's a thriller. You know, it's that kind of, um, it's, I remember Sasha coming out of the screening saying to Paddy Clark, he loved it because it was like a Western. Okay. And we'd never looked at it as that. Yeah. But when you look back at it, you go, actually, yeah, it's a similar kind of storyline to what you'd find in a lot of Westerns, you know, but yeah, we build it as a thriller and it's. And some of that was set in Paris. Yeah, we quite, quite the European, aren't you? Yeah, we we filmed the interiors for the Paris stuff we filmed in Dublin. Okay. In Clancy Barracks down near Kilmainham. But for the exteriors you couldn't fake them. Yeah. So we actually flew down to Paris with Anthony and Creep van Damme and we filmed some sequences out on the streets of Paris. But of course it was meant to be the nineteen seventies. We digitally removed a car. We had to stuff, digitally yeah. remove things and we had to film at five o'clock in the morning because you couldn't have people in modern day clothes yeah. around. So yeah, we I mean we had a lot of fun making that stuff. But it was tough, you know. Yeah. And I remember we were filming right down at the Eiffel Tower and there's all this footage of Anthony standing in front of the camera and Paddy Clark running around in front of him trying to get people out of the shot. Okay. All these drunk Parisians kind of <laughs> trying to figure stuff. out what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun, but it, g- it gave the film a kind of a, a, a bit of that epic scale that Absolutely. you're always after, you know, yes. that you're looking for. And the, the GV shots, the shots of Paris really give it that kind of uh, that sense of time and place <gasps> that you can't really fake it. You Mark Commode's always banging on about if a film goes to different countries, people feel like they've been on holidays. You know, yeah, which is yeah, great. yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you're always trying to take people on, on a, a journey. journey. Yeah. You know, you, 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 they sit down in the dark and they go somewhere with yeah. you. Um, and if you can make it interesting for them and put them through some, uh, emotional trauma, all the better. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in terms of genre, would you say, You'd like, is there particular genres that you're attracted to or is it wide open? Like, In terms of watching films, mm. I love everything. Okay. I love comedies. I love horror. I love rom-coms. I love thrillers. I, you know, everything mm. appeals to me. And as a filmmaker, it's stories. Yeah. Regardless of genre, it's the story. Does the story interest me? Is there something to say yeah. with it? And 
they they tend to fall into a genre, you know, like the Callback Queen's romantic comedy, Anton's a thriller, the different short films I've done, like Lily, which we just made, is a drama. Yeah. Uh, and a Dublin story, I'd kind of say, is a drama as well. So I tend to, like, I like serious stuff. Okay. You know, but at the same time, uh, I, I do like to, to make people laugh. Yeah. If I can. There's a real thrill in sitting in an audience and hearing them react to your film, hearing them laugh at the right points or jump, see them jump at the right points. There's a particular moment in Anton, uh, a kind of a, a reveal that we did where we had a Laura Way who plays Maria in the film. We showed an empty space in front of her and then we tracked around her and she walked into what had been an empty space and Anthony's there. And every time... In a cinema, we'd sit and watch it. Me and Fergal, the DP, would sit beside each other and go, here it comes, here it comes. Yeah. And the minute he grabs it, the whole audience would jump up out of their seats with a fright. Uh, so those kind of moments, they're, that's kind of part of the reason why you do Was that an original it. shot or did, did someone see, had you seen that in an old movie and thought that's a great reveal? It, it, or? I mean, it is, it's a trope. You know, yeah. people use it. They show an empty space, pan away, come okay. back and suddenly someone's there. Yes. So, you know, I mean, you could cite a hundred different examples. Okay, okay. Uh, but it was just finding the moment and to use it. did that come on the day or was that in pre-planning? No, or? we planned it. Yeah, great. That's, yeah, yeah. We planned that in advance. We were, yeah. we were talking specifically about how to capture certain moments and that yes. one was about bang it's a moment for you and would you do that generally you'd stick to the plan but you like to leave a bit of room for other stuff for yeah like i say i always try to plan as much as i can in advance do you not waste any time you get the yeah, job done to, yeah. to to start the ball rolling mm. to to get through it also to to prepare the schedule yes uh but then on the day i'm always open to stuff happening yeah uh and sometimes it'll just be a crew member suggesting yeah something uh, and you go, actually, that's brilliant. That'll, uh, and then you just have to figure out if you have the time to do it yes. that way. A lot of the time it's also, you know what? We've run out of time, guys. Let's economize. Yeah. Let's figure out how to do the same with less. Okay. And in those cases, having the prep done means you know if it'll work or not. Yeah. A couple of times I have been cut out where, uh, I've assumed something will work and it doesn't. Okay. So now I do shoot at least a bit of coverage, which is something I always encourage filmmakers to do An as well. An ashtray. Have you ever heard of that one? The cutaways. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, or just a close-up yeah. of one character or a wide shot, a master shot of a scene. Yeah. Something you can always cut to. You know? well, that, was, that brings me to something I wanted to ask you, which is if you, um, you know... N- if you were to talk to your younger self and give yourself advice or whatever on, you know, would there be, a, or if there was uh, filmmakers out there starting out who happened to be listening to this interview, what would you say to them, you know? I mean, lots. One, one of the things I'd say is have the courage of your convictions, you know. If you have an idea, try it. At least try it before dismissing it. Something else, if I could go back, the one thing I would do differently is start networking earlier. Start figuring out who's who in the industry, not in a kind of a Machiavellian calculated way, but in a, in a kind of a, an intelligent way. Go out and start making connections in the industry, uh, with the people who have access to funding, with the people who have access to money. Mm-hmm. You need money to make films to make them well. And as a young filmmaker, I didn't have that in place. You know, I didn't have family connections. I didn't have social connections. So I wish I'd gone out a bit more what's that mean like go to festivals watch go to festivals work. go to seminars yeah um even just approaching 
production companies, the production companies that are making films like the type of films you want to make. Mm. Um, when you've got a script, you know, you've got to do something with it. Yeah. Uh, or even if you're a director and you want to direct stuff, you, you make your films and you get a reel and you got to get it out there. You've got to show it to people. Uh, you got to let them know that you're there. Nobody's going to come looking for you, mm. you know? Uh, so that would be one of the things I'd say uh, to younger filmmakers is to, I mean, it's a, it's a fear thing. You don't want to put yourself out there, you know, um, but you have to, you have to make that leap. Yeah. Put yourself out there, go out and talk to people um, and build up a network, Okay. a network of collaborators um, and look for people who can help you make the kind of films that you want to make. Well, that was the other thing I wanted to ask when you said about your interest in story and, and you know what a story has to say. I mean, is there anything that you want to say? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Was a bit revealing humanity and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. I I know exactly what you're talking about. There's we all see the world working a certain way. We mm -hmm. all think it should work differently. We want to highlight problems that we see with the world. We want to suggest solutions, and film is a way to do that. You know, uh, sometimes it's a way of connecting people. Sometimes it's a way of highlighting a problem. Uh, and for me, it's just about figuring out the personal stuff you know and if you if if you're approached with a script or if you come up with an idea one of the big questions is well what's the point okay what's the point of this what's ultimately what are you saying with it yes with anton it was all about family and how important family is and how people sometimes sacrifice family for an ideal or an idea and whether or not that's a worthwhile approach for me, it was kind of tapped into how I'd kind of sacrificed almost everything for this journey, the mm -hmm. filmmaking journey, but then realizing, you know what, the people in my life, they're just as important. So like as an artist, you have to be selfish, but you should probably make work about how people shouldn't be selfish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. And like the callback queen is about following your dreams. Okay. And persisting, you know, does, does. There's a beauty in persistence over resistance, you mm -hmm. know. People will help. If they see someone striving toward a goal, going after a dream, there's a lot of people out there struggling. Uh, and, you know, this, this industry's tough. Hard, hard industry. There's a lot of rejection. But if people persist and believe in themselves and keep going, that's the idea behind that film is it'll pay off. Mm -hmm. uh, and figuring out how to make the journey worthwhile as opposed to making it kind of goal-oriented, you know? Yes. Um, to figure out how to have fun doing what you're doing, uh, rather than constantly seeking something. It doesn't mean you shouldn't aspire, but enjoy it while you're doing it. What do you think? I'm going to go off on a tangent now very briefly. Uh, <clears throat> so, like, people who make movies eat up movies, and, and they're all about other movies. But then when you're actually living your life, if you mm -hmm. know what I mean, in, mm -hmm. let's say, Dublin contemporary, and you, you observe life around you, and then you go to maybe an Irish film, and you're like, I don't see anything that I see in real life on the screen. And maybe it's, do you ever find sometimes that it's too in its own, you could say the same with theatre, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, it's it's an altered reality. Film is always an altered reality. The person who's making it, it's either their experience of it or how they would like it to be. And there's an appetite for both. Mm. There's an appetite for realism. People can enjoy a Ken Loach film 
And at the same time, people can enjoy a Jerry Bruckheimer film. Okay. One is fantasy. One is hyper realism. Yeah. And again, it's just a question of taste. Yeah. It's a question of how much enjoyment you get from one or the other. And what do you want to make? Both? Kind of both. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like, it's that thing of, um, again, we go back to Spielberg who makes kind of popcorn movies, but they have depth. Yeah. To them. They're populist. You know, it's almost like pop music. Right. And yet there's something behind it. And then he can go and he can make a Schindler's List. Sure. Um, and that, that would be the, you know, also if you look at someone like Steven Soderbergh. Yeah. Where he'll make a kind of a thriller and then he'll go off and make an intensely personal movie and, and flip between the two, you know. Mm. I always remember Gary Oldman talking about that as an actor where he'd go and make Lost in Space for the kids and okay. for the paycheck. And then he go and make nil by mouth yeah, for yeah. himself. You know, one facilitates the other. Um, yeah, I wouldn't like to restrict myself. I mean, the thing is, in this industry, people do tend to pigeonhole others. Mm. So you do sometimes get caught in a uh, a specific genre or, you know. But if you look at someone like Lenny Abramson, the films he makes are brilliant. Whatever genre yeah. they're in, uh, absurd farce or you know, very dark drama. They're all, they all have his unique style. They're all as, as compelling as each other. Uh, and yet he's not pigeonholed. Do you think it's an exciting time for Irish film at the moment? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, there's, there, there are kind of, I always remember, uh, I can't remember who it was said this to me, but there's kind of two film industries here. There's the Irish film industry and there's the film industry in Ireland the the foreign films that come in and spend truckloads of money and then the indigenous filmmakers kind of scraping around trying to get the money together to make their personal films or you know uh and on both counts it's quite an exciting time because mm. there's a lot going on and there are a lot of filmmakers out there who are making their films by hook or by crook yeah and a lot of those films are very exciting yeah i even just down at the the Galway film fla it's always the best place to see the new stuff, the new films and, and see the kind of the next gen, the next generation of filmmakers coming through. I remember seeing a film down there called Dead Along the Way. Morris O'Carroll directed it and I loved it. And it was made on pure blood, sweat and tears. Mm. But I laughed the entire way throughout it. Really dark little comedy. Uh, and the, I mean, the Young Offenders. Day young Offenders, Mary, Day for Mad Mary. You know, the Gangsters, I saw that the other day. Yeah, exactly. So there's so much good yeah. stuff going on. That it is very exciting. Mm. Um, and there's, this is the thing. There's filmmakers now are saying a bit more about their country, mm-hmm. about their experience of it. Their lives yeah. are up on that screen, you know? Uh, and it's interesting and compelling and it travels. Yeah. You know, it'll go abroad and people will see. I always remember when, when I went to America for the first time, the only thing people knew of Ireland was into the West and the commitments. Okay. <laughs> and they were their two kind of, the two films that they used as their understanding of what we were. Uh, and I always remember coming home and we had visitors over from America and we'd been telling them, look, you know, the commitments, it's not all like that. It's not all burnt out cars. It's not all. Uh, and we went for a walk and we came across a burnt out car. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah, shit. <laughs> what and about- then they, they, they have this other idea then of into the West, of it being all rural and, or, you know, something like the quiet man and all yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, whereas there's far more interesting, um, urban 
and rural stuff going on where we haven't necessarily had a platform to tell those stories. But with the fact that filmmaking equipment is now a hell of a lot cheaper, it's in the hands of more people. Uh, and there are people who maybe in the past wouldn't have had the opportunity to tell their stories on the big screen are now getting to do it. Yeah. And it's, I mean, people like Neil Jordan and Jim Sheridan are almost the two big pillars of Irish cinema to me. Mm. And um, yeah, I mean, John Borman as well. You know, there's, yeah, there are, there are. On, honorary Irishman, John. Honorary, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but as he said, he's been in Ireland longer than most Irish people. Have oh, well, then much labor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, there's, look, you always look to the likes of Jim Sheridan and Neil Jordan as inspirations because they launched Irish film on the international stage, mm. uh, and they validated us as a filmmaking nation. Uh, personally, Jim's kind of given you a bit of encouragement along the way as well. Well, yeah, I mean, he is great. I mean, both of them are great. Neil as well. Uh, I remember having a, a conversation with him on a train once. Paddy and I, on our way back from a, a film festival, saw him and kind of cornered him. And looking back on it, I was like, Jesus, the arrogance, you know, poor fella. walking up and saying, you know, <laughs> can you help us? But he did. He sat yeah. with us for like three hours and Great. talked to us. And the same with Jim. When we screened Anton for Jim, we had a he, basically it was just him and one other guy sitting in the audience watching it. One of the most nerve wracking experiences in my life. But afterwards, he sat with us for a long time and helped us out, talked us through some changes we could make and then suggested things we could do with the film. And people who've reached that level, that, that kind of, you know, I mean, it's a, he's a world figure in cinema. Um, they could go either way. They could turn their back on people or they could embrace the next generation, as I say. And Jim particularly has always been a great supporter of Irish filmmakers and Irish film um, and very generous with his time you know and that's great that's invaluable what about tv are you against you know are you like no i'm just film or would you be happy to go off and direct the new sopranos or whatever yeah no i mean obviously stories are stories yeah. and i mean some like it's been said so many times but tv nowadays it's not Golden the tv age, that we grew that. up with yeah. you know there are tv shows out there that are better than most films six hour movies yeah yeah not, have you seen the night of no, I haven't seen that yeah, yet, but it's it. on the list, yeah. Yes. Um, but like shows like The Americans mm -hmm. is just phenomenal. Okay. Or Game of Thrones or, you know, Breaking Bad, the kind yeah. of the, the big ones. Yeah, you watch them and it's like... It's kind of amazing as well how much stuff is getting made in TV and it's it's only the real gems that get the... the that get exposure to yeah. everybody. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But but there are some amazing things out there. Even just in terms of comedy, like the Veep. Okay. Is an amazing show, um, which is like, it's only half an hour long, but it's phenomenal. It's brilliant. Modern family. That's the and, guy you know, who did the, the thick of it, isn't it? Isn't yes. It? Yeah. 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 But you know, you watch these shows and you just, it's inspiring. Yeah. And have you ever tried to chase that work or? No, not particularly. Yeah. You know, it's, it's. What is next? Sorry. Do you want to tell me briefly about Lily? Cause that's the. Lily was a film that I made. It was around the time of the, the marriage referendum here. A pal of mine, Eamon Farrell, had written an article about his experiences when he was a, a young boy growing up gay in Ireland and how he'd been bullied a lot. Uh, and it kind of touched a nerve because I'd been bullied and I knew a lot of people who'd been bullied. Um, and I wanted to say something about that. I wanted to, again, it comes back to this, what do you want to say with your films? Um, and I'd never spoken about it. I never talked to anyone about it. And now looking back on it, I know if I had, it would have helped. 
So I wanted to make a film that encouraged kids to talk um, and that encouraged parents and teachers and, you know, that encouraged conversation about this, about bullying, specific, uh, specifically about bullying of LGBT kids. Mm -hmm. uh, so I wrote this story. I asked Eamon if I could use his story. Um, I turned him into a, a young gay girl. Uh, and I wrote this story set in school because that's where it happens, you know. Um, and it, it turned out quite well. The script turned out quite well. I showed it to Alan Fitzpatrick and Film Base and we agreed to make it. Uh, and we made it with the students on the masters in digital filmmaking course. They fleshed out the crew. I had, um, professional HODs. And they understudied them okay. in preparation for making their own feature Great practical film. experience yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They kind of see how it's done at the, the highest level. Uh, so that when they go to do it themselves, when they make a feature film, they've had that experience. They've got a bit more confidence doing it themselves. Uh, and we shot it in four days with a very small budget. And it just worked you know yeah, it turned that, out that, really that, nice that young was very funny i just saw it the other day dean yeah yeah, yeah. we actually we spent so long did he add a little bit out of that or was it all no no it's yeah. all scripted yeah. um but that's him yeah you know he is that character we looked so hard for him okay. we we auditioned like a lot of actors for that part and just couldn't find the right combination um and then he came in and he just lit it up right you know, he just was. And the same, like Clara, who plays Lily in the film, she sent in a tape, a self-tape. It was just her and her mom. Mm. But the minute I saw it, I knew it was her. Yeah. I knew I wanted to, to bring her in. And you won an award in Galway. Yep. Yeah, we won the award, so it's put us in contention for the Oscars again. So we're hoping this Don't time we go, come back. we go beyond the shortlist, you know. Very good, very good. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, at the moment we're doing that. We're, mm. we're, we're going out to a lot of different festivals. We're going over to the Savannah Film Festival, uh, in a couple of weeks in Georgia, which I'm really looking forward to. Georgia. In the US. Yeah. And, uh, Cork is coming up and Kerry is coming up. Uh, so, you know, we've got a lot of festivals coming up with that. And the idea is, is just to get it out there. Yeah. Uh, and eventually we'll try and get it onto as big a platform as we can to get the word out, to get the, the message out and start a debate, start a, a conversation. And so you've given up the day job now. You're, you're a full-time filmmaker and, and you're doing a lot of teaching and things in between the flicks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is it. It's, it's, it's one of those things where you kind of come to a decision. It's, it's like what alcoholics call a moment of clarity, you know, where you go, I enjoy this so much. Mm. If I can make this my career, I'll never have to work a day in my life. Absolutely. Uh, and it's, if you, if you continue to have that passion for it, then it fuels you, you know? I mean, I'm so often I'll work with young filmmakers or young actors and at the end of a day, a full day working with them, they're exhausted and I'm like bouncing off the walls with energy because it invigorates me because I love it. Yeah. I always remember being on set with Viddy Fagan. When we were making Anton. I love this shit. I love this shit. Yeah, yeah. That was his big phrase. And I was like, you know, that guy, yeah. he's an inspiration. And was, I, like he'd be stood on, on set and I'd go up to him and say, you know, you don't have to stand around on set. You can go into the trailer. You can hang out. You can yeah. chill. He's like, no, 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 I'll stick around. I love this shit. You know, <laughs> shout um, out to Vinny. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that always, I always think back to that. And I always think, mm. you know what? If I can maintain that passion for it, then I'll never not do it. Yeah. Yeah. Is, um, 
And in the meantime, so where are you teaching? You're teaching on, in, in a few different places. At the moment, well, uh, we run courses, Film Venture run courses for actors uh, periodically that we, where we like do a, a week-long thing where we shoot showreel scenes with actors. And then I also teach on the master's course in film base and in the Irish Film Academy. Um, and it's funny, I mean, it is the other half of my life. It's, you know, the teaching thing. I never, I never lose the joy of it mm. because you're constantly inspiring new people. Yeah. Um, and again, that's what I love about being a director is inspiring people to do their best work. And in the teaching side of it, it's, it's inspiring people to discover yeah. things. Uh, and there's this moment where particularly with actors where you'll just see a light bulb go off. And that's why I do it mm. to see the connections being made, you know, the neural pathways firing where they go, Oh yeah. And they get it. Yeah. And suddenly they'll never be the same again. Mm. That moment for me, that, that makes it worthwhile, you know? Um, and are, yeah, I, I, I love it. I love teaching and I love filmmaking. They're the two kind of, are you working on any more feature film ideas or? Yeah, we've yeah. lots of stuff in development. You know, okay. it's, it's gotten to the point where. I've figured out you throw as many balls up in the air as you can. Uh, don't put all your eggs into one basket, as James Hickey once said to me. Because uh, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, you throw a whole load of uh, projects up in the air and you see which ones land. But there's, yeah, there's a few really good stories now that, that we've got on the go. Some are in development with Northern Ireland Screen and then some are... Uh, I have one project in development with an American production company. And at, at this stage, it's just about waiting to see which one finds the money. Yes. Uh, it's always about money. It's so you hear horror about stories about development hell and, and, and that kind of thing, which is... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a film that was good to go in England okay. that fell apart at the last minute. Right. Uh, and there's nothing worse than that because it's your be-all and end-all. Yeah. Uh, and we were in pre-production. We were ready to go. And then it just the financing fell through. That happens. Yeah. You know, it happens. And it's about picking yourself up and moving on and continuing. It's character building too. Yeah. <laughs> In the worst kind of way. But yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you'll always have that what if then, you know, mm. what if I had made that? And, you know, yeah. I mean, other projects, you develop scripts, you write scripts, you put your blood, sweat and tears into them and they don't go anywhere. Mm. It all builds character. It all informs other stuff. And, you know, always little things from those projects find their way into... Into other projects. Other projects, yeah. yeah. So um, it's nothing's in vain. Yeah. You know, and all those experiences, uh, the bad as well, they all inform your choices as you move on. Yeah. Um, so I never... Sometimes failure more than success at times. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I never regret. Mm. those things you, you and know, Frank Sinatra yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Graham it's been a real pleasure uh, thanks very much and uh, thanks for anyone who's listening all the best thank you <laughs>